Ecclesiastes chapter 11, Solomon is continuing to give lessons for us in a proverbial style. And so, calling this section Proverbs Concerning Generosity. Proverbs Concerning Generosity. You know, you think about the ministry of Christ when he was here on earth. He spent much of his time going about doing good, helping others. And we are to follow his example, doing good, helping others. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 tells us that God loves a cheerful giver. And we're to be a giving people, not grudgingly, not a necessity, but of a heart of love. And so as we look at verses 1 through 8, we're going to look at these Proverbs concerning generosity. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, starting at verse 1, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree fall toward the south or toward the north, and the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the cloud shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thy hand, for, for thou knowest not whether shall prosper either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Truly, truly the light is sweet and pleasant thing. It is for the eyes to behold the sun. But if every man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. Sometimes I feel like Solomon does a real good job writing some really encouraging things, and then he has to go right back to, but it's all vanity. <laughs> it's like, really? But that's by design, okay? I'm not trying to make light of, of Scripture, but it is interesting. Sometimes when you read it, it's like, oh, that's really good. And then he has to put in that again, just as a reminder that life apart from God is vanity. But here's what I want us to examine and look at from the passage tonight. First, I want us to notice that we're to give to the needy in verses 1 through 3. We're to give to the needy. Secondly, we are to trust God, and we'll notice that in verses 4 through 6. And then verses 7 and 8, we'll observe the reminder that life is short. So first, we're to give to the needy. Now, I have said this many times here, that there are people who pretend to be needy who are truly just scam artists, okay? I believe, Christian, you and I are to try to discern and use wisdom. For instance, if I know some churches have a food pantry or, or things of that nature will help with bills and whatnot, but they screen the people and ask them a bunch of questions before they will give. We have, not in the too distant past here, just a couple years ago, we're helping some who really had a need, but then also tried helping them understand biblical principles of how to handle their finances so they wouldn't continue to live being needy. And I think sometimes that gets forgotten. But there are those that legitimately have needs. And sometimes even trying to help meet those needs, one of the scammers may just happen to get through and 
put that really good show on and you end up helping them out anyhow, remember ultimately they're going to give an account to God. But you and I are responsible for how we do give. I'll give you for instance. Sometimes in the past when the church has decided this is a legitimate need, my wife and I might take them shopping and pay for the bill, whatever the case may be. Well, we found that Food Lion has gift cards, and it says right on the gift card, not for alcohol and tobacco products. And so I asked the manager at Food Lion, I said, how do you enforce that? And anything scanned, because everything's scanned by barcode, all the barcodes of any alcohol or tobacco products will not allow that to be paid for by that card. Therefore, it makes it a little bit easier if they have transportation and they need groceries, now we can just give them that gift card to take. Okay, but it's still helping meet the need. But the point of it is, We've got to be careful because I'm not, I am not one to just hand somebody cash when they say they need cash. You need food? We'll help you out. You need your bill paid? Well, that's one that we haven't really done a whole lot of. I do know organizations to send them to. And as I said, they will screen them and find out if it's a legitimate need before just paying their, their bill. I also found out, and let me just warn you of this, because... Somebody needed lodging once, and I was going to pay for their lodging. But I, I don't know, just the Lord's protection. I called a pastor friend of mine and said, have you ever done this before? He says, actually, I talked to a lawyer because I was going to do the same thing you're about to do. And legally, if you pay their bill, then the uh, hotel can continue to charge you for it. And I'm like, yeah, we're not doing that. Be careful. The laws somehow don't protect you the good Samaritan as much as maybe they should sometimes, okay? So I'm just saying be careful. But at the same point, be generous giver without expecting return. I've never given something to somebody who is in need and say, okay, now, uh, as soon as you get your job, we expect that back. As soon as you get it on your feet, we'll expect that back. No, you don't expect anything in return. You give it because it's the right thing to do. And as I said before, most of us have an abundance that we can give and not miss it. Proverbs 19, 17, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. Now I'm not saying give to get, but I will say this, I have never been able to outgive God. If I'm doing it because I believe this truly honors God, and I've prayed about it, and I, I believe this is a legitimate need. You know what I have found? God always meets my need. As one preacher said, you know, I take what God gives me, and I shovel it out, and then God just keeps shoveling back, and he has a bigger shovel than I do. Your acts of kindness will be rewarded by God. Matthew 10, 42, And whosoever should give a drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in my name and, and in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, uh, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Think of that. Just give him a cup of cold water. God's going to reward you for it. Let's be faithful in giving. So that's what he means by cast your water upon the cast your bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. After he kind of goes back to an old custom of sowing rice along the water, and 
then when the water recede, the rice would start to grow, especially when the rivers are flooded. You just go spread the rice in there. You cast in your bread, if you will, upon the water. But then when the water start to recede after flood's over, well, then it had plenty of water and, and whatnot, and then it'll start to sprout and grow. That's what I've read. I don't ever grow rice. But then verse 2, give a portion to seven and also to eight. All right? I'm only going to be generous seven times, and if it's a good day, maybe eight. That's not what God's saying. Matter of fact, the seven and eight, if you recall when we studied Hebrew poetry, is done for emphasis. Okay, it's not for exact numbers. It's an emphatic way of trying to say this point. So the idea then is to keep on giving. Now, let me tell you something. When you've been burned by some of the scam artists, as I have been, one guy took him to the gas station, and I put gas in his tank. I gave him like $10. This is back when $10 actually bought gas. And I knew it was enough to get him to where he claimed he needed to go. And he goes, is that all I get? I thank God his grace overruled the flesh that day because I think like most of you immediately want to smack the guy after you just <laughs> generous to him. I said, yes, sir, that is all you get. Thank you. Have a good day. And I walked off from him because I didn't want to lose a testimony. And I got in the car and Susan's like, what's the matter? I'm like, he just asked me if that's all he gets. She's like, oh, no, he didn't. I'm like, just sit here. We're good. Or here's the other one that has happened to this very church. After we pour our hearts out and help them, we had a young couple. We tried helping out and getting them furniture and getting them this and everything else. And the whole church pulled together to really help this couple out because they had a great need. Then they stopped coming to church and said, you never helped us. Okay, I will be honest. It was hard for a lot of people because they're like, pastor, let's ensure that never happens again. I'm like, I can't ensure it will never happen again. And I said, I understand it hurt us all. I said, but we can't stop doing what God has commanded us to do because of the way somebody responded to it. And it's real easy to grow callous toward those in need because of the few that make it bad for all of them. Luke 6.30, Go to every man that asketh thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. I remember years ago when I was in college, anybody familiar with Reformers Unanimous? Okay. The founder of it, Kingsbury, Paul. Hey, I remembered something. Came and spoke at chapel, and he was telling about when he started this ministry, he was help, it's basically helping people with addictions, okay? And so it could be any type of addiction, but this guy, I think he's a drug addict or something. But anyhow, Paul's trying to help him out. He's ministering to him. He's giving to him. He's, he's, he's working with him. And the guy steals his car and sells it, you know, type thing. And I'm, I think he sold it. And anyhow, I remember he said he stole his car. And yet Paul still loved him. And you could tell in his preaching that he still loved this man. And I'm sitting there thinking, man... You know, there's just some points you're just ready to quit on people, right? Steal my car, it might be one of them. But <laughs> it really showed that he had an attitude of serving people, and people were more important than things. But Galatians 6, 9, and 10 reminds us, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. 
Because God will reward. We also need to be reminded, verse 2, Give a portion to seven and also eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. You don't know when you're going to have a hard time and need some assistance. I do know this. Most of us tend to have a hard time asking for help when we need it, though. And that's good and bad at the same time. It's good in that we should not be so readily like, hey, I need everybody to help me, you know, think about me. But it's bad in the aspect of when we allow pride to prevent us from asking for help when we need help. So be careful with that. But you don't know when your time may come that you're going to need help. But I will say this. When a time comes that you need help, others are going to be more willing to give to you if you have proven that you are a giver and not a leech. Right? Because... Again, maybe the wrong attitude. But how many times have you thought when somebody has a need, but they've always just been one to grab, 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 that, well, I really don't want to give. Luke 16, 9, I say unto you, make unto yourselves friends of mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. But we need to be a giver as the clouds are. Verse 3, if the clouds before rain empty themselves in the earth. Yep, we see that happen a lot around here. In other words, don't be stingy with giving. Just as the clouds pour out the rain, so you and I need to be willing to give as God leads. Now don't give because of guilt. Give because you believe this is the leading of God to do. Years ago, I know I shared this before. We came out of a restaurant in Shelby, and this man came up and said, I'm really hungry. Could I just get a sandwich? Well, I didn't really want to go back into the restaurant that we just came out of because it was uh, one of those, okay, we're in college, so didn't have a lot of money. It was one of those planned family outings that I didn't have enough to go back in there and buy one of those meals. You know what I'm talking about? So I said, listen, sit here. And I'll be right back. So I drove to a fast food restaurant, bought him a sandwich with fries and a drink. I know, not the healthiest meal, but it's what I could afford to get him. And I brought it back to him, and he sat down there, and he devoured it. He was hungry. Now he's also a captive audience. It's a great time to share the gospel because he's too busy stuffing food in his face to interrupt me. So it worked. <laughs> Legitimate need. Just a couple months ago, maybe it's been a year or so ago now, my wife and I, and I think it was a Sunday, went out to eat. might have been another day of the week. doesn't matter. <clears throat> we went to the restaurant, and this lady standing in the parking lot said, I'm hungry. I'm like, well, ma'am, I could get you a meal. She goes, great, I need number four off the menu in there. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you ain't that hungry. <laughs> Here's the other one that gets me all the time. My kids aren't going to have Christmas if your church doesn't buy us Christmas gifts. I'm sure December 25th is still going to be on the calendar. There still will be Christmas, and you can celebrate the birth of Christ with or without the gifts. But that makes me mean. Verse 3 also, not only be a giver like the clouds, but let's look at the second part of it. If a tree fall toward the south or toward the north, a place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. 
This comes to the wisest man that ever lived. <laughs> Did anybody hear it? Did it make a sound? I don't know. Okay, we're not getting into that. <laughs> Life is short, so do good now. When a tree falls down, it doesn't get up and move on its own accord. Where it fell is where you're going to find it. You can go back years later, and there it is, rotting, but it's still there, pointing in the same direction in which it fell. It didn't get up and say, you know what? I don't like facing south. I want to turn more toward the sun. I think I'm going to turn, you know. No, it doesn't do that, all right? And it might make a noise if it did it, too. But anyhow, when we die, there's not going to be any more time to serve God, so serve God now. Isn't it interesting how that our flesh, and I believe the devil, also works and try to get us convinced. You have plenty of time. Don't worry about doing it now. You got plenty of time. How do we know that? The rapture could happen before this message is over, over right? You could pull out this driveway, get down to the corner of Church and Lake and Miller with the wonderful visibility you got there, think it's clear, try to cross over it, and boom, you're out in eternity. I've seen it happen. Do today instead of putting off till tomorrow. Because as when the tree falls, and there it is, so when we die, that's it. You know, same thing can be said of when you put somebody in the grave, they don't roll over. They're not moving. They're done. Point number two, verses four through six. We need to trust God. While we are to exercise caution with our giving, do not be hesitant or so hesitant that you're no use to anybody. Verse 4, He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. This used to be my excuse as a boy. Dad would be like, well, we need this done in the garden today. Well, Dad, I got up and I looked out and it looked like it might rain. Yeah, but it didn't rain all day, but it could have. And I didn't want to get caught out in the rain. Looked like it was cold, cold out there today. Well, this one was a true one because he always wanted us out there weeding. Dad, it was too hot. Well, did you go out before the sun was up? No. Why not? Because I wasn't up yet. As I said already, when you're helping others, you will be burned a few times, but give anyhow. And many times it's not the perfect situation in which to sow or to reap. But every opportunity... So every opportunity to help the needy is not going to succeed. By the way, more often than not, when I try to get folks to understand, hey, let's work on some financial principles on how to manage your money, they disappear. Or they will claim to try to follow these principles, but then the next week they're back there saying, yeah, I need more money. Well, wait a minute. What about this budget we talked about? Well, I saw blah, 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 and I thought I had to have it, so I went and I just purchased it, you know, and it's like, okay, let's start again. My point being is, honestly, people who are in the habit of just getting, it's hard to help them break that habit. This is why I believe, by the way, and this has nothing to do with the message, but this is why I believe the responsibility was given to the church to care for the poor, not to the government to care for the poor because i promise you churches would do a better job teaching them how to do it right and then they wouldn't have somewhere to run to like the government just keeps handing it to you but moving on 
Psalm 126, 5 and 6, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Verse 5, As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. We can't understand the Spirit. Now, the Spirit of man is what? We've got a mind, or we've got a body, soul, and spirit, right? The body is the vehicle carrying you around. The one that the older it gets, the more it creaks. And woke up the other night thinking that the high water alarm on the lift station across from our house was going off again because I heard this ringing. So I get up just to realize it's my ears ringing. Body wears out. But we have the, the spiritual side of us, right? And sometimes spirit and soul are used interchangeably. The soul is the mind, will, and emotions of us. The real you inside of you, right? What makes you, you part? But we don't understand what keeps spirit of man or when it departs. You know, okay, there are clinical definitions and medical definitions for life and death, but they really don't explain what life and death is. You follow what I'm saying? When the soul or the spirit departs from a man, there's something unique, something happened there but you don't see it, and you can't really explain it. But if you've been there, you know it. And if you haven't been there, you're like, what are you talking about? If you ever experience death, you'll know it. Not you personally. I mean, you'll know it then too, okay? But I'm saying if you ever see somebody die. We don't understand the way of the Holy Spirit either, do we? I know his way is perfect. I know the work he does is always right, but I don't understand his ways. John 3, 8, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and now here's the sound thereof, but canst not tell when, whence it cometh or whether it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You know, I can see the evidence in your lives of a changed life, but I can't look at you and say, I can see that you're born again. Now, I can see you were born, and it still bothers me to this day why I have to pull out a certificate saying I was born. I'm standing in front of you. But whatever, they want to see that you were born. But you can see that physically. You can't see the spiritual birth, can you? We don't see the hand of God working. We can see the evidence of what God's hand is working, but we don't see the actual hand of God, right? Not that he has a physical hand because he is a spirit, but you, you know what I'm saying. We also don't understand how a baby grows in the womb. It is amazing to me that in a single cell, all the information that's going to make an entire human being is contained in that single cell. And then it starts dividing and replicating and dividing and replicating and doing its thing. And, you know, it's interesting, by the way, I was talking to somebody just last night about viruses and Enid, if I misstate, correct me. But, you know, they're saying about how when you have had COVID, since that's what everybody's concerned about, you go get an antibody test, and of course you got the antibodies. But they're saying, well, after several months, it stops, you, you, you no longer have the antibodies. Well, from my understanding of viruses, and you've got a corpsman back there, so they'll correct me if I'm wrong, <clears throat> your body makes antibodies when necessary. Your body just doesn't sit there and say, hey, I'm just going to keep making this stuff for no good reason. 
It's making it to attack when it realizes it's in the body. When it no longer needs it, it slows down or stops production, but it puts it in a memory cell. Okay, I'm going to call it that for simplicity's sake. And it stores it in your body, in a big filing cabinet your body has. It sticks it there. So when, when it sees it again, it's like, wait a minute, I remember attacking that before. It pulls it out of the filing cabinet and starts making more of them. Now, I know that's overly simplistic, but I'm trying to make it so we can understand it. Right? I don't understand that, do you? I don't understand how my body recognizes, hey, that's foreign, but I've seen it before. Let me go pull out that cell that I stored years ago and start making that again so I can get rid of this because that's how I did it last time. That to me is absolutely amazing. And all that genetic code was written into that single cell that eventually became you. That's amazing. I don't understand it. But I do know this much. The God who can create that certainly can take care of my needs. So when God says for me to be a giver to those in need, then I just need to give trust in him because if he can make me out of all this, out of that little cell, he certainly can take care of me. And by the way, isn't it also amazing how that most of the time, and I don't know what the percentage is, but most of the time, from the time that single cell divides till it's a baby delivered, it did it right almost every single time. Because as soon as the baby's born, what's mama doing? She's counting fingers. She's counting toes. She's making sure there's nothing wrong with her baby, that it's perfectly formed the way it should be. And most times, mama's sitting there proud because it came out right. She had nothing to do with it. I mean, you know, but she's still proud that, look at this, this is my perfect baby. Now, sometimes, unfortunately, things go wrong as it's rewriting this process and babies come out with abnormalities and whatnot. But for the most part, isn't it amazing how often it just, it's right? No wonder the psalmist says, in Psalm 139, 14, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works that my soul knoweth right well. I'm going to put a mark here in my notes. But I want to tell you real quick, and this really doesn't have to do with the message. Last night, the other day, I got a text message from the chairman of CCTA that they were having a meeting last night. And the topic caught my attention. So my wife and I went and they had one of their committees had found out that a teenager in Newburn High School had gone home and told his mom, we learned that there are seven or nine or whatever it was, genders today. And so the mom questioned it, and they took their team of this committee on CCTA, went and talked to the school board. Long story short, indeed, it is in the curriculum of the LGBT alphabet soup is in their sex ed curriculum. And to make it even worse, the way the procedures are supposed to happen is that when a child says, I'm not certain whether I'm a boy or a girl, they're supposed to go to a counselor who does not verify anything with the parents. And the counselor sits there and tells them, this is normal, this is okay. And up to the point, and this has not happened in our county, but has happened already in some areas, and I'm not sure if it's our state or where it was mentioned that it happened, to where they will start prescribing puberty blockers to the child without the parent's permission or knowledge. Yes, they should be in jail. 
I knew these things have been happening, but to hear it's actually happening in our own county is very disturbing. Christian, we know, we know the world is on a path of destruction. And I just want to have a little family talk for just a few minutes about this. What can we do? You say, well, I don't have kids in a public school. Well, I get that. Some might actually still have kids in a public school, and you be careful what your kids are learning. And while it's important we take care of our own children, and, you know, there is Calvary Baptist School up in New Bern. Uh, Grand Mercy has a school which I would not recommend for their Bible, but it's got to be better what the public school is teaching. Not every family can homeschool, and nor do I believe that we at Freedom Baptist Church need to necessarily start a school. So what can we do to help parents? Because, okay, first of all, two, two aspects of it. One, we've got to take care of our kids, but we can't just say, okay, we've done our part, we pulled our kids out of the school, because understand our society is being taught this as a whole, and if we allow it to continue, we're going to become more and more the minority to where people are going to, I, I honestly believe this will lead to eventual persecution of those who stand against them, okay? We need to pray about how can we help parents in the public school. Well, you might know somebody whose kids are in school, in a public school. So why it's an uncomfortable conversation are their kids not important enough to say, do you know? And if you need the material, we can call Glenn Fink as the one who had it. He did all the research on it. We can put him in contact with him so he could hear it firsthand because Glenn actually put his eyeballs on the curriculum. He wasn't allowed to take pictures of it. He wasn't allowed to record anything. So he sat there and he wrote a bunch of notes down with them supervising them while he's looking at the curriculum because they have nothing to hide. I think it's important that we try to help our neighbors understand what their children are being taught and so and i'm not saying just go on a massive campaign through your neighborhood saying hey by the way your kids are being taught this grotesque and some of what glenn said last night let me just say i would not repeat here okay but he got into beyond just the lgbtq all that nonsense even the kids he said there was a very brief very brief thing about abstinence is the best way, but doesn't work because nobody can do it. He says it's basically the way it was worded. So therefore, and then it goes into teaching all the other stuff, okay? To the point he said that they, I, I, I don't even want to go further. We'll just let it be. Just, it's horrible what they're teaching the kids. So it's been heavy on my heart since last night. So I wanted to share it with you and if you have any ideas of what we can do. But if you happen to be talking to your neighbors and school does come up, it might be worth bringing up and saying, by the way, do you know some of the things that are truly being taught in school? You know, there was a time when you could say, well, they're teaching that God didn't create the world. This is, it just happened by random chance. That Some parents would get upset. But unfortunately, most of the world has accepted that. But I, can't, I have a hard time believing that most parents are okay with their little Johnny saying, I want to be Sally today. And let me just add this, and I'll let you speak. I've seen it firsthand where a little one started questioning whether they should be a boy or a girl. I saw it firsthand. It's coming out of these schools. But we need to remind young people God didn't make a mistake. He made you the way he made you, and we need to teach them to be 
you know, the other thing, hold on, I'll get to you in just a second. The other interesting piece that was brought out last night, because one guy stoke, spoke from a psychiatrist viewpoint, was the correlation between what we're seeing with the boys questioning whether they should be boys and girls questioning they should be girls with the breakdown of the nuclear family. It's like, Scripture folks told us that. Going, going to the whole um, sex ed thing, even without all the LGBTQ stuff, the promiscuity that it promotes, basically saying that it's abnormal. And by the way, I have dealt with teenagers who really can't grasp the concept that abstinence is supposed to be the norm. And they're like, what are you talking about? That's so foolish. Everybody does it. What are you talking about? And I'm like, no, this is the way it's supposed to be. And you realize you back up 40 years even, and it still was taboo, although people were doing it, but it wasn't, you didn't do it, talk about it publicly. And you back up even 20 years prior to that. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's not far back to where these things were, it was normal to wait. Matter of fact, the guy who was speaking of from the psychiatric aspect said, and it's also interesting how you go back 20, 30, 40 years, how people got married younger, and the, and the crowd chuckled, but it's like, yeah, because you realize that if you're going to fulfill that desire, you get married. And a lot of times people get married younger. He said, but the reason why they're not having to get married now is because they're shacking up. Who cares? I'm sorry it took so long with this, but folks, this is important. And I wanted to bring it to your attention so you can pray about and ask God, how can I make a difference? Not just with this one thing, but folks, we need to see a revival to bring us back to God and to bring us back to him for his glory. Because I'm telling you, where we are is not pleasing a holy God. And you look throughout world history, when nations get to the point we are, God's hand of judgment is forced upon them. I say forced upon them because we make the choice. Okay, now I understand the promises of Deuteronomy were given to Israel specifically. But I believe God has consistently applied that if you look throughout history. The nations that honor God, God has blessed. The nations that have turned their back on God, God has judged. All right, let's stand and be dismissed with a word of prayer.